There is a tradition after every baseball or football or basketball game, probably after every game, to interview coaches. You've all seen this, right? To interview the coaches and the players on the field. And almost always, those interviews are pretty much worthless. Have you ever noticed that? Right after the game, the interviewer says, now what was your impression? What was it that made you win? And the players, if it's the players especially, they just say things like, well, we just scored more points. We just really came out here and played well. It's not until the next day, it's not until a little bit of time goes by that the coaches and the players can actually reflect on the game and can offer something a little more instructive for what they learned from that game. Hindsight is 2020, but immediate hindsight, well, it doesn't offer that much, right? It's just the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat, and that's why we watch, right? We don't actually care what the players thought about the game. We just want to hear them and their excitement. We want to hear the quarterback of the Super Bowl winning team say, we're going to Disney World, or is it Disneyland? I forget. But it's the next day, once some time has passed, that you can actually reflect on things. And that's when hindsight becomes 2020. Now I want you to imagine this morning that you were reading the paper. Imagine this headline, Five Foolish Virgins Left Out. Imagine that the interviewer, the person who wrote this article in the paper, suppose you still got the newspaper, was able to interview those five foolish virgins. What would they say? What would they say the next day? I think they'd say something like this. The first one would say, well, we have to learn from our mistakes, right? This is part of life. We learn from our mistakes, and just like my mom and dad always taught me, there's always next time. Another one would say, that's right. That's right. We can't let this happen again. There's always next time. Maybe one of the others would say something a little more, oh, I don't know, a little more antagonistic. Well, we were ready But see, what happened was that bridegroom, he didn't come. He didn't come on time. He came late. He delayed. We were all set. We were all ready. We were there. But it's his fault. He delayed. Another one would probably say, you know, I didn't really want to go anyways, so I'm actually not that upset about it. I don't really care about this bridegroom. I don't really care about the wedding hall. I don't care about the banquet. I didn't want to go anyways. And still another would just say, well, there's always next time, right? And that's true in football. That's true in baseball. That's true in basketball and hockey and whatever. There is always next time. But that's not always the case, is it? And isn't this why Christ tells us this parable? There is no mulligan on your life. There is no do-over at the end of it all. You will not be able to stand before Christ and say, hey, could, could we do that all over again? I'd like to do a reset. I'd like to hit reset on the game and start over at the beginning. The parable of the ten virgins cuts through that, doesn't it? It cuts right to the heart of the matter and says, there is no do-over on your life. You won't be able to say on the last day or at the end of your life, whichever one comes first, you won't be able to say, you know, I'd like to start all over again. I'd like to take all the lessons that I've learned and go back. I'd like to redo everything. There is no do-over. There are times where there is no second chance. And so you must be awake to that. 
right? Imagine the football players who think that the big game is just practice, right? Imagine the baseball team who goes out for the game seven of the World Series and says, well, you know, we're going to treat this one like a preseason game. It's an exhibition game. We're just going to learn a few lessons. We're going to take a few lumps and we're going to see, you know, what we can learn at the end and apply it to next year. This is no way to play in the championship game. This is no way to live your life. It is no way to go through life thinking, well, there's always another chance. There's always another opportunity. There's always tomorrow. We like to hear that song, right? There's always tomorrow. But it's not true. There will come a day when there will be no tomorrow. There will come a moment in your life when you will breathe your last. And it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that because the life that you live now is the only one that you get. Don't waste it. Don't waste it in slumber. Don't waste it in sleep. Don't waste your life away for this is the life that the Lord has given to you. The parable of the ten virgins calls us to awaken, to awaken to what is unrepeatable, this life, and not to miss the kingdom's goal. This is what Christianity is, right? It is a wake-up call to the world. It is the call to repentance, and it is the call to faith. It is the call to turn away from sin and to put all of your trust and all of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone will not let you down. Faith is waking up to that. St. Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. That happens now. That happens when you hear the call of God's word. That happens when the Holy Spirit calls you by the gospel. That happens when you bring your children to holy baptism. There they are awakened. Sometimes you can see this quite dramatically, right? Sometimes the little kids are sleeping peacefully in their mother's arms, and then the pastor gets a hold of them, right? That mean old man, that pastor gets a hold of them, and he starts pouring water on their heads, and the kids wake up, and you can hear it. They start screaming. They start crying. Holy baptism wakes us up. It is a call to die to the sinful life and to rise to a new life. And while the babies cry, it is a supremely good thing. It is a supremely good thing to be called awake. Because it is only that life of faith, that life of repentance and faith, that is true living. If you go through this world without knowing the name of Jesus, just think of what a tragedy that is. To go through the world without ever knowing the name of Jesus, without ever calling out to him, without having this hope that he will return and bring you into the wedding supper. What kind of a life is that? You might as well be asleep. Oh, sure, you can enjoy all kinds of good things. You can have great vacations. You can have a wonderful job. But to miss out on Jesus, you might as well be sleeping. And so the Spirit is given to the world. The Spirit is given to the church to wake us up from slumber, to wake us up by the preaching of the gospel to that life of faith, to wake us up through the celebration of the Holy Sacrament so that life may be given to us. The Lord's Supper is this food, this food of wakefulness, this food that keeps us awake. You all like a cup of coffee in the morning, don't you? Most of you do anyways. You need to be kept awake. Isn't this what food does for us? Well, how much more the Lord's Supper, where Christ gives us the food of life. He gives us the food of forgiveness and peace with him that gives us the energy for the spiritual life of faith and love. 
The parable of the ten virgins calls us to awaken to what is unrepeatable, to make the most of the time that is given to us so that in the end we don't sound like these foolish virgins saying, you know, I wasn't really ready. The parable of the virgins also reminds us that that time might be kind of long, right? The translation that you heard this morning put it this way. How did it go? As the bridegroom was delayed, right? And that's fine, but it kind of makes it sound like the bridegroom wanted to come earlier but then didn't. A better translation would be because the bridegroom delayed himself, he took his time. And remember, I said one of those virgins might say the next day, you know, we were ready, Jesus, but you didn't come on time. Jesus delays on purpose. He waits. He doesn't say, you know, when do you want me to show up? When would you like me to pick you up, right? Jesus isn't that kind of a bridegroom. He has his own time. He has his own ways. And it won't do for us to tell him, Jesus, you know, I was ready. I was a faithful disciple for 10 years, I brought my kids to confirmation class. Wasn't that good enough? I raised them in the faith. Wasn't that long enough? I went to church for 60 years, Jesus. Wasn't that good enough? You took your time. You waited too long, Jesus. Well, the truth is that Jesus does delay. That is a feature, not a bug of Christianity. That is something that he plans on to delay, to wait, so that more may come to faith, right? Jesus doesn't delay just to kind of keep you on edge. He doesn't delay to kind of hang a carrot out in front of you and say, well, I could come at any time, but I'm not quite sure when. I want you to stay on edge. No, he delays so that more and more people may be awakened to the faith. That delay is meant so that more may reach repentance, so that all of you would come to faith in the Lord Jesus so that you could bring your children and your friends and your neighbors and anyone who will hear the wake-up call of the gospel to faith in him. But that delay means that you've got to stay ready. That delay means that there is no shortcut in the Christian life. There is no kind of off-ramp that you can take for a while and you can plan to wait, you know, I'll, I'll get baptized when I'm a kid and then I'll come at confirmation time with the kids and then maybe at the end of my life I'll come back to faith in Jesus. We must be ready at all times. There is no shortcut. Isn't that what you find with the ten virgins? The five were ready for the long haul, the wise ones. They didn't just take their lamps, they took their oil with them. They were ready for anything, whatever happened. They knew that the greatest thing of all would be to hear the bridegroom's coming and to be ready for it. The fools, oh sure, they heard, and they were excited. They were kind of tickled by the thought of going to the wedding hall, but it wasn't worth planning for. They weren't ready for the long haul. Take your oil, dear friends, because I want to see you all in the end. Don't suppose that there are shortcuts in the life of repentance and faith. Well, I'll confess those sins, but not these ones. I'll turn away from those sins, but I kind of like this one. Turn away from it all. Put all of your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. Put all of your hope in him, for he alone will not disappoint you. 
That's what it means to take oil. That's what it means to be wise. It means to hold nothing back, to not let your Christianity be merely skin deep, but to let it sink down into your bones. For the promises of God are not meant to be taken lightly. They are meant to be held onto. They are a firm foundation. They are solid ground. They are true and lasting, and you can trust this Lord Jesus. You can hope in him. You can follow his commandments without supposing without supposing that he's holding back on you somehow. The delay of the bridegroom alerts us to be ready for the long haul so that we don't wake up and go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep, but that's so we may always be awake in him. Now, St. Paul clarifies what's meant by that, right? It doesn't mean that you can never sleep at night, right? Christians are those who actually know how to sleep quite peacefully, for we have peace with God. Why shouldn't we sleep? But St. Paul uses this as a metaphor for the Christian life. To be drunk and to be asleep is one way to live. That is the foolish way of living. But to be awake and to be sober That is the true life. Now think of how fitting that metaphor is. What happens when you're drunk? You don't immediately fall asleep, but all of your inhibitions are lowered, right? You become much more susceptible to all kinds of stupidity, right? That's fair, isn't it? You become much more susceptible to saying and doing all kinds of foolish things, things you would never, ever do when you were sober, This is what happens when we let our guard down spiritually. We become drunk. And we use that word sometimes this way, right? People can be drunk with power. They can be drunk with pleasure. They can be drunk with all sorts of things. What do we mean by that? We mean they are led by something that something else has control of them. They are not in their right minds. That is the life apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And sadly, we have all walked that way at one time or another. We have all lived that way at one time or another. And so we need the Spirit's call to come back, to sober up, to live the right way, to live with faith in Jesus Christ and to follow his commandments. For otherwise, otherwise we run the risk of falling asleep without oil in our lamps and missing what is true and lasting. This is the, uh, the temptation to a life of drunkenness, right? It holds out the idea that if you, uh, you know, if you drink from this bottle, you can really enjoy life. Isn't that what all the commercials say? Isn't that what all the advertisements say? This is the good life. Follow this way. And then, of course, the hangover comes, the disappointment comes, because those promises cannot deliver. But there is one who delivers on his promises, And if you follow him, if you walk in his ways, if you live for him, you will never be disappointed, even when you are sad. You will never be disappointed, even when you are sick. You will never be disappointed, even when he delays. And you say, Lord Jesus, come and save me quickly. Deliver me from this. Deliver me from that. For with Jesus, with Jesus, there is no false hope. With Jesus, there is no false promise. With Jesus, there is nothing false at all. But there is true peace, there is true happiness, there is true joy. Those five fools would surely say the next day, well, we'll we'll get it next time, right? But the five who are wise, imagine this, the five who are wise, imagine that same reporter trying to interview the five who are wise. You know what it would say in the paper the next day? The five wise could not be reached for comment. Why? 
because they were with the Lord. They didn't have time for reporters. They were with the Lord, partying with him forever. They were with the Lord in perfect sobriety and perfect peace and perfect joy. Do not miss that goal. Wake up now. Stay awake now with the Lord Jesus so that when he comes, so that when he comes, then your heart with joy may thrill. For the bridegroom soon will call us to the wedding feast. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.